0: Open your uh, electronic uh, Bible apps, as well as your paper copies of God's Word. This morning we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, the second half, verses 9 to the end. But I want you to know, I I was here when the preacher was preaching on Ecclesiastes 3, verse 22, where it says, I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be Happy in all his activities. And the preacher told me that I had to choose joy. I don't know, um, I've always thought that, I uh, know about you, your, your view of preachers, but I've always thought God picks the dumbest people in the church to be preachers because we're the people who have to hear the message five, six, seven times before we get it. You know, I'm going over it and over it and trying to figure it out. And so I've heard this message seven times at least. And I said, I got to choose joy. So I woke up this week and I said, I'm going to be happy today. I'm going to choose it. I'm going to name it and I'm going to claim it, okay? And I stumble out of bed, stumble on the carpet, hit my head on the corner of the door And I turn on the lights and I wake up and I see people who are not interested in being up this early. And the joy just starts to leak. Have you ever had a day like that? You've determined to be happy and it just starts leaking out of your life from the get-go. How do you continue to choose joy? It is so easy to wake up and be miserable. It's work to choose joy. We looked at last week the responsibility of choosing joy, and one of the ways we do that, first of all, is we've got to learn to be content with God's sovereignty, that God has planned our days, that He directs our lives. He gives us callings in life. He gives us a birth where we're either male or female. And with that comes certain things that we're responsible to do. And when we get content with that, we start finding joy and pleasure. Not only did we see that we needed to find contentment in God's sovereignty, but we had to give up envy. If you're in this calling, whatever it is that God's called you to do, if you're always wanting what somebody else has... what they're doing you're envious of that you're not going to really be content you're not going to be happy you're not going to be joyful so we looked at two things that rob us of joy discontentment and envy that's ecclesiastes 4 1 through 8 and verse 8 is 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 significant in the last phrase that it says there's certain people that they never ask they don't even ask for, uh, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? Some people don't ever even ask the question, why am I robbing myself of joy? And we looked at that. We don't need to rob ourselves. Ask the question, why am I doing it? Because I'm discontent with God's sovereignty or I'm envious of someone else and their calling We need to ask, what's robbing us of joy? And then he adds two more things to those two, discontentment, envy. He adds two more, isolation and exaltation. Let me read Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to the end. Hear God's word. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who, can no, longer, who no longer knows how to receive instruction. For he has come out of prison to become king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I've seen all the living under the sun throng to the side of the second lad who replaces him. There's no end to all the people, to all who were before him. And even the ones who will come later will not be happy with him, for this too is vanity and striving after win. I want us to see two main ingredients of that section of God's word. The first is obviously dealing with Isolation. Two are better than one. Two's good. Three's even better than that. Uh, he's dealing with the, the manner in which we choose to do life. When I wake up and choose life, if am I going to choose to do life today by myself, alone, or am I going to choose to do life with others? Um, I Googled it this week uh, to see how many single people were in America. Nearly 36 million people, right now, live single in America. That's 28 percent of our households living single. 50 um, percent say they don't want to change it; they like it the way it is. Only some wanted to change, but only 14 percent desire to spouse. Well, that explains a lot of things when you get mandates to just stay home, do life by yourself. If if we've got over one in four already doing that, it uh, might make sense why that uh, seems so reasonable to so many people. But God's clearly saying, Mm-mm, that's not the way it should be. Now, here's the point. Nothing wrong with being single. I need to probably make ex. Talk about that just a minute. Nothing wrong with being single. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 7, we won't go there, but 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul, who was a single man, very fruitful man, the Apostle Paul says there are great advantages to being single. He said, I wish everybody was like me, single. I'm not talking against singleness. The Scripture is talking against aloneness. It's two different things different being single and being alone and i could mention by name several ladies in this church more than several and some men and you know them too they'll come to your mind ladies in our church who are single but they don't do life alone they're constantly reaching out emailing calling texting inviting people over for a piece of pizza or something And they are single, but they are not alone. They're engaged with other people all the time. They are involved in ministry. And that involvement and engagement is what gives them joy. And that's what Ecclesiastes 4 is talking about. Two are better than the one. When you get together with another, when you get together with two more, it's stronger, it's sweeter, it's more effective. You know Genesis 2, where God said, out of all that he created, it's not good that man be alone. Aloneness is the problem, not singleness. There are many who've chosen singleness, and that's okay. There's advantages. But it's so easy there to also choose aloneness. Now, you can be in a crowd of people and choose to be alone too, can't you? So you got to think this through. God is saying you're robbing yourself of joy when you choose to be alone. It might be uncomfortable for you. It might require a little more work. You might have to strategize. But you've got to find ways every week to do life with someone else. And I thought, you know, as I I mentioned during my announcements this this morning, how I do life with so many of you, and just to remind one another, hey, we're not alone. We're not doing this life alone. I think it would be a good phrase to add to our hugs. You're not alone. I'm here for you. You're here for me, and that makes a huge difference in life bemoaning our aloneness doesn't really help. If we're alone, especially in this culture, this world, with this technology, if we're alone, we pretty much are choosing to be alone. Because there are so many ways for us to reach out. I've had many people tell me, David, you never call. I say, the phone works both ways. Works both ways. You're choosing not to call me either. Realize that you've made a choice. Don't sit home and bemoan and say, well, nobody ever calls me. You call them. You choose joy. Light up someone else's world by ministering to them. Two are better. God's saying your life will be better if you will make that choice. Maybe they're covered up with busyness in other ministry. They need that call from you and that's going to enrich their lives. Why risk it? Several reasons, and that's what he gives us here. Several reasons why it's worth the risk. It's encouraging, it's supporting, and it gives protection. Verses 9 and 10, it's just encouraging. It says two are better than one. You get a good return. Um, If somebody falls, the other one picks them up. It's just a great benefit to have somebody doing life with you. Uh, My dad wears one of those... uh, you know, call button things, what has that service that if you you fall down, it actually knows that you fell. But you can also just push the button and somebody immediately comes over to the speaker and says, Are you okay? You've fallen down or whatever. He's single. He lives alone. And he's, that thing works, by the way. He's fallen three times, maybe four. And uh, so I always ask him, Hey, did you have your, your button on? Did they know about it? He said, yeah, they called me immediately. And yet he still had to lay on the floor for an hour sometimes, waiting to talk it through or waiting for the ambulance to come. That grieves you, doesn't it? It's like, you don't want somebody to be on the floor for an hour. You want somebody there immediately. Two are better To, 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 to walk around, to do what you do, to have someone else there. If one falls down, the other one's immediately there at your side to pick you up, to care for you. There's ways you can do it without that person. But that person is a huge encouragement when they are there. So that's one of the reasons God gives us. You want the encouragement. You want to know you're not alone. And then there's just support, verse 11. Furthermore, if two lie down together, you have the support of warmth. There's all kind of ways to get warmth. But there's, there's warmth through words. There's warmth through eyesight. There's warmth through touch. Just knowing somebody is supporting you, reaching out, holding your hand. Um, and then he mentions in verse uh, well. I guess that's more protection down in verse 12, but verse 11 is uh, just uh, the warmth, the support of of somebody's uh, being there for you and with you. I know there's been times uh, you've asked me, my wife's asked me, other people said, David, you seem stressed. What's going on? Is there something I can do? And a lot of times my answer is, I don't know anything you can do. A hug would be nice. What do I mean by that? It'd be nice just to know you support me. A hug would be nice because that shows we're taking this to a different level. I support you. If I can't do anything, I support you. I'll hold you up. I'll keep you. I'll be there to help keep you going because you're going to wear out and fall down if somebody's not holding your hand and taking you forward. And that's what the companionship's for, and that's what it does. It doesn't just encourage, it really supports. And then verse 12, it also protects. He says, if one can overpower you when you're alone. See, aloneness is the issue. If, if one of you can overpower me, but, I, but I'm close to taking you, well, if there were two of me, we're going to get you. If there were three of me, even more so. Because not only can we overpower you physically, but we can look different directions to see if you're coming. You know, that's kind of the intent here. You've got two, you look both ways. You've got three, you, 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 you know, you're ready for any opposition, any attack. And you can withstand that attack because you are doing life with others. Uh, it's easier to defend not just physical attack, but rumors from critics, people who say bad things about you or to you or behind your back. If you've got somebody there with you, if you've got a friend, they embrace you, they support you. Say, I got your back. That's not true about you, and I know it. Somebody's got wrong information. And that person comes and strengthens you greatly. Two are good, three are better. Let's look at a few extra supporting verses. Look at First John 4. 7 and 8. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. And those of you who've joined our church, here's a good time to tell you the process. The process for us is you just meet with our elders since God's given the elders the authority over the church, and you um, share with us your testimony, and the testimony is your answer to this question. How did you come to know Christ, and what difference does that make in your life? And so I have shared that Same question with everybody that's ever joined here. And uh, the elders say, you know, can you tell me how God's done something? Changed your life? What's he doing now? And I always read this verse, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And I explained to those of you who've joined that if God's loved you, it would be a sin for me not to love you. It would be a sin for our elders not to love you. If God has chosen to love you, he's put his value on you. He's included you into the body of Christ. It would be a sin for us not to include you into the body of Christ. Because you're His. And so we're gonna be a loving community because God loves us first. And He teaches us to love. The way to learn to love is look at God. What's He doing? And He knows we are better together. He says, If you are gonna be like me, you will love other people. You won't do life alone, you will give yourself to others. You will encourage them. You will support them. You will protect them. And that's what the church is. We don't do life alone. We do life together. And it changes everything. Give you another verse. Look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. 24 and 25. Becomes real popular. Hebrews 10, right now. 24 and 25 says, Let us consider... How to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That last phrase, the author of Hebrews was aware of the fact that there was a day of persecution that was coming closer and closer and closer. It says, as that persecution comes to your door, when the pandemic hits, then more than ever, you need to be assembled so that you can stimulate one another. You can encourage one another. You can love one another. Because it's not going to be good alone. You won't have encouragement, you won't have support, you won't have protection. We need to be together to withstand persecution, to withstand sickness. It's so sad seeing so many people right now with no one. No one. Isolated and hurting. God forbid that that ever be a believer. Don't forsake your assembling. Together, because we need desperately to do life together, because persecution is among us. Now, I want to show you another passage in Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. Not only do we have the persecution of the world, but we've got persecution from Satan. Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13. Take care, brethren. That there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today. So that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Catch that. It is so easy to listen to Satan. Satan is the master of deceit. And he says, our tendency is to fall away. To fall back if we are not together day after day after day, encouraging one another in the things of God. You don't get sanctified alone. You don't do holiness alone. It takes brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in Christ, encouraging us in the truth and to stay away from the deceitfulness of sin, the deceitfulness of the evil one. I think Satan has been screaming this message or he's typically much more subtle. And he says, to the church right now, has God said it wouldn't be better to close the church and to love your neighbor? And so many are listening when Christ, who is the church, the head of the church, is building his church. And I haven't seen that God has said that he's stopping that construction project. He's going to stop building the church for a while now, or just do the church electronically for those who are wealthy enough to handle that. I haven't seen that. See, that's a deception. Just like in Genesis 3, has God really said? And he comes to us with that deceptive word. And we have to have the church saying, listen to the word, listen to the Bible, or you will fall back. You will fall away. And you're not going to grow out of sin. How many of you are struggling with sin? You say, I can't get out. I can't get out. I can't get out. I do the same sin over and over. Are you doing life with somebody at your side, encouraging you? There are people perhaps listening to me. their home. They are addicted to pornography and other addictions. They, can't, they say, I can't ever get out. You're not choosing to do life with someone. To hold your hand. To encourage you. And to protect you. And to support you. You're falling back because of the deceitfulness. Sin. Sin, Satan constantly says, do it alone. Just isolate. Get away. Move, Move aside. You don't share this with anybody. You do this alone. And when that happens, then you start falling back. Don't you? We've all been there. When I've fallen into sin... Most of the sin I fall into, I do alone. I'm ashamed to do it with someone. Which is why having someone with me keeps me from it. You see the importance? Two are better. At a cord of three strands, boy, you're not going to break us down when we do life together. You and I, we rob ourselves of joy when we choose to do our days alone. So strategize. Start finding ways. Take somebody along with you or go with them if they're already on the right path. It reminds me of a great country song. Does anybody like Alan Jackson? I I love his stuff because it's simple. Living on love, buying on time, Without somebody, nothing ain't worth a dime. It's like an old-fashioned storybook rhyme, living on love. It sounds simple. That's what you're thinking. But love can walk through fire without blinking. It doesn't take much when you get enough living on love. Got to have somebody Or nothing ain't worth a dime. you got to be with someone. You've got to do life together with others. Two are much better. It's simple, but we all know somebody we can call and talk to and write to and be with and start doing life with others. If you're going alone, we're depriving ourselves of pleasure. Go back to Ecclesiastes. The second part, really the fourth ingredient that robs us of pleasure, discontentment with God, sovereignty, envy, uh, isolation, and then number four is exaltation, exalting ourselves. And he gives this analogy in verse 13, 14, 15, of a king who is exalting himself. He has reached the pinnacle. He's, he's at his height. Who else is king of the nation? He's the only one. And he's gotten to the place in life where he thinks that you can't tell me anything, you can't teach me anything, because I am above you. I know it all, really. And I can do whatever I want. He says, and then there's come this guy who actually was serving time in prison. And that guy gets out of prison, and it's a rags-to-riches story. He goes from the prison to the palace. I mean, people start listening to him. In prison, he's probably spent a lot of time studying, and he's growing, and people like listening to him, and they like the fact that he came from prison, from poverty, and now he's moving someplace. People like that because it gives us all hope, hey, maybe that could happen to me too. And we want that lifestyle of going from the prison to the palace, the rags to the riches. And he says... You've seen it. When that person starts rising in popularity, he's always helping people, encouraging people, supporting people. He doesn't think he knows it all. He knows he was a wreck, he was a mess, and God's blessing him now. And people just use the word throng. He starts getting crowds and crowds. And the people who used to follow the king, they turn on the Don and start following this guy. We've seen that the last week. How many people turned on Trump like that? Ready to go somewhere else. Happens all the time. It's not something unique to us. This person who's exalted himself, why, why does it happen? Because God has a principle that he goes by in this world. Those who exalt himself, what does God say he does? He says, I'll humble them. Those who humble himself will be exalted. It's a principle God runs on. You've got to learn... Where God's tracks are and get on the track. Well, this king got off the track in his analogy, doesn't live a humble life, and God brings him down. Give you those principles so you have them. Matthew 23, verse 12. Matthew 23, verse 12. Read it real quick. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Matthew 23, 12. So you have it. And I want to show you one other place. 1 Peter chapter 5. and an exhortation here to the elders of the church. Because their tendency would be to be as leaders of the church. Think, well, we've arrived. We are somebody. And he said, no, 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 no. Listen to me. 1 Peter chapter 5. Can you get there faster than I can when you use those electronic Bibles? Just, just curious. 1 Peter 5, 5-6. through six. Some of you are shaking your head some one way and some are going the other way. So I don't know. 1 Peter 5, 5-6. through six. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, all of you, old and young, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And this is strong. For God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble God's opposed to the proud that's the way it's going to work if you exalt yourself you're proud in your estimation you know it all or you know more then you're robbing yourself of joy you know we have discipleship classes after this hour it's What is a disciple of Christ? I thought about this word, disciple. Disciple means a learner, a student. Are you uh, ashamed to say, I need to learn? I need to sit at the feet of Christ. So many times I opened my Bible. As a matter of fact, I did it this morning, not just out of habit, not out of a particular plan. But I, I love Psalm one eighteen, excuse me, Psalm one nineteen, verse one eighteen, where God says, "Open my eyes that I am, that I may behold wonderful things from Your law." And I open the Bible each day to to read. I said, "God, just open my eyes, show me something I have never seen before." And as I was thinking of that this morning. I long to, to, to share it with you, but I, I was thinking of the transfiguration. That's where it's the only time we use that word that with uh, Jesus was, they saw his glory, and beside him was Moses, and the other side, Elijah. And Peter was so overwhelmed with that. He wanted to build three tabernacles right there on the spot. He said, This is just unbelievable. Nobody's ever seen this. And I was thinking as I was meditating on that. I said, yeah, there's so many people who have never come to grips with the glory of Jesus. When he turned water into wine, it says, and he shared his glory. And People don't think about the glory of Christ in the miracle. And when he comes to us in the book of Revelation, which is why I think I was meditating on it, thinking about my discipleship class this morning, at the end of the book of Revelation, we see his glory. And he promised at the transfiguration. He says, people that are here will see my glory. Do you, how much do you know about God's glory? Can you not be a learner? Could you not be a student? Do you know it all? I wrote myself a note after I was, had that meditation time this morning. And I wrote myself a personal note. I put it in my Revelation file. And so that when I opened it up. And said what in the world is this. Because I put, put it under Revelation 23. There is no Revelation 23. It stops at chapter 22. So when I open it up. I'm going to see my note. And my note says. A lot more study needs to be done here. Or a note to myself. You don't got this yet. Dig in here. Go back to the transfiguration. See how it goes through the book of Revelation. And learn. Grow. Because you're still stupid. You still have places to go. When you humble yourself, God takes you to those places. When you start up here, the only place for God to take you is back down. We rob ourselves of glory. We rob ourselves of joy when we start out in life as a know-it-all as opposed to as a disciple. And you've got to begin your days. Lord, let me sit at your feet. Let me learn what I've not learned yet. So that I can go forth in this life for you and your glory so that I can soar, so that I can be happy and joyful, rather than being robbed of all of that. Uh, You can evaluate yourself in worship. You know, as I was thinking, um, I love the time this worship team puts into music. I love what Jonathan does to lead us. Because when we're singing those songs, that's a moment of my life. Where I get to rest in Christ. And I just get to say, God, I'm a mess. It's about your honor. It's about your glory. And I need to learn more of that. And I need to give you more of that. It's a time in our weeks where we begin with Jesus. And I hope you use this worship praise time to truly rest. And connect with Jesus, just like in the communion table. It's a time where we connect with God. And we see our sin. And we see we need to come out of that sin. And as we come out, it's a time that fills us with joy. Again, you see how you've been robbing yourself of joy? By not having a time of exalting the one who's supposed to be exalted, God. Exalting yourself, you've got nowhere to go. So how can you be happy? Exalt Jesus, you immediately see you're down here and he's taking you somewhere and that gives you joy and pleasure. At his right hand, Psalm 16, are pleasures forevermore. So get on God's right side. Get near him through humbleness and there will be times of unbelievable joy. Well, is your heart full of joy? Have you chosen joy? You choose it by choosing contentment with His plan, His sovereignty. Choosing to not be envious of someone else's. Choosing not to isolate, but to do life with others. The loving body of Christ. And by not exalting self, but humbling self. There's a lot of pain in this life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life abundant. How do you do that? Let me share with you one of my favorite verses, and I'll stop. 2 Corinthians 7.4. 2 Corinthians 7.4. says this. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Think about the relationship Paul has with who he's talking to here. He said he's spending time with other people to the degree that he can say I'm proud of you. I see what you're doing, see how you're doing life, and and I'm proud of you for the way you're handling life. I also know it's not easy. I know it's difficult. I know you're afflicted. I know you're in pain. He says, I'm afflicted and I'm in pain too. He says, but I rejoice. I, I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. We're both in pain here. But we're seeing God do joyful things. So this week, when somebody says to you, how you doing? What do you normally say? I'm doing good. I'm fine. And you walk away. When they say, how are you doing? I'm overflowing with joy in all our affliction. And they're going to do, what? What? Ecclesiastes 4 taught me that. I can do life with joy in pain and in affliction. And you can too. Let's pray to God. Father, thank you for allowing us to sit at your feet because we need insight, we need wisdom, we need direction. We need to turn from the deceptions of the evil one. We need to turn from sin. And we need to be at your right hand. Walking through this world. Father draw us there. For those who have never been there. Draw them there. To meet Jesus. That he might redeem and deliver. And give a life of joy in the midst of pain and affliction. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.